welcome here, everyone. It's good to see all of your faces. And I'd invite everyone who's standing and chatting in the back to make their way into the sanctuary, find a spot. Don't be shy, come close to the front. And let's sing Down to the River to Pray. Today, as you may have seen on the screen before, um, today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church around the world. So I'll read the call to worship, and then we'll have um, a time of prayer as well, where we can already start just thinking and praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. So the call to worship is from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are with us and also with our brothers and sisters around the world, that your love and your presence is big enough and far-reaching enough and present enough to be with everyone, whether they call on your name or not. And we just want to take some time this morning to just lament um, the condition of, of the world and of the world not being the way it should be, 
that not every knee has yet bowed to the name of Jesus, um, but we want to stand and pray with our brothers and sisters that they will stay strong in the face of adversity, they would stay confident, that they would stay committed to, to you. And we think of the believers in Africa, the Middle East, Asia, um, and some of these specific countries, Lord, that you know, and the names and faces that you know, we just ask that the Holy Spirit, that you would be present with each of these people, especially today. So as we continue with our worship service, I pray, Lord, that you'd give us a sense of the bigger and wider church, that it's more than just here, it's more than just in this community in Manitoba and Canada, but that there, we are part of a church that is all over the world and that we are all um, in relationship with you and desiring to serve and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us, and we will sing, O Come to the Altar, an invitation.
So that's the invitation for us to come to the altar and as we sing the next song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, we're anticipating that God is coming or is already there to meet us. And the last song in this set, an assurance and a thanksgiving song, Who You Say I Am.
a good exclamation mark at the end. I'll let the worship team go have a seat, and if you have your Bibles on you, you can turn to the scripture reading passage for today, which is 1 Samuel 13, verses 1 to 14. And I'll be reading in the New International Version. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown through the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear! So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Good morning. Please bow with me to dismiss the little ones to Children's Church. Dear God, we thank you for the little ones of our congregation. We pray that as they go to Children's Church now, that they will have a good time there. We pray that they will be met with many new and wonderful things that they can learn, that they will bring with them the rest of their lives. I pray also for the teachers, give them the words to say and the endurance to keep on. We also want to pray for our service today. We want to pray a blessing on it. We want to pray that you speak to us in new ways. We put these things before you this morning. Amen. All right. Now, before I go any further, with announcements, Dawson has one as far as YFC goes. So I'm going to pass it off to him. All right. Uh, just wanting to... Remind you all again, November 19th is the banquet date. It's going to start at 6 p.m. and then the meals can be served at 6.30. Uh, if you need any help registering since it's all online, I would be more than happy to help anyone. Just let me know. 
And yeah, there's not unlimited seats. So if you're thinking of coming, I would say do that as do that registration as soon as possible so you make sure you got your spot. But yeah, feel free to talk to me if you need any help at all with that. Thanks. Um, if you have your bulletins on you, now's the time to take them out. There's a couple things on here. Uh, the first one is that this coming Wednesday, 6.30 p.m., Kids Connect here at the church, grades three to six. If you have a nice grade three or six or send them on uh, here as well. They also always need more snacks, so talk to Amy Taves if you want to bring snacks for the night. Uh, next, prayer meeting is going to be at 6.45 p.m. Uh, in that back room with the couches. Uh, also at the church that night, so come on out for that. I am on deck to lead, so it's going to be a good time. You know that. And we continue on Thursday, 7.30 p.m., high school girls Bible study at Bethany and Dawson's house. Uh, and then next week, uh, Sunday school worship service and communion. It's the second Sunday of the month, uh, so which means that it's going to be communion. And then 3 p.m. is the care home service uh, after that as well. And it's also Alton Fest next Sunday. So put that on your list. If that is something that you are looking to go to, uh, that is at 2.30 p.m. at the Sommerfeld Church. Uh, skipping down, also Gladstone Christian Fellowship Women's Conference is going to be November 18th to 19th. I believe they have more information on their website if you want to find out more about that. Uh, Valley View Men's Breakfast, November 19th, 8.30 a.m., November 19th, 6 p.m. is also the YFC fundraising banquet that we just heard from as well. And November 20th is going to be a big day here at the church. There are two big things going on. The first one is immediately after the service on November 20th, there is going to be a potluck, so make sure to put that down on your uh, list of things to bring food to church for. There is going to be a potluck after the service on November 20th. And also that evening, there is going to be the next in our, uh, our special music events. I feel we should come up with a good name for those. But it's going to be the loud music this time, and I know that I am looking forward to that. If you have anybody that you know that is interested in that, invite them along as well. Let's see if we can fill this place up. I think that that would be absolutely amazing. Going down, November 24th, Circle Square Ranch is having their dessert fundraiser here at the church at 7 p.m., and Spruce Dale is having theirs on the 25th at 6.30 at the Austin Hall. Are there any more announcements? All right. Then moving on to items of prayer. Uh, the first one is, as I said last week, uh, we had an interview finally with uh, oh, the branch of health that panels for autism, and uh, the diagnosis has come back, and Noel is in fact on the spectrum. And so we would ask prayer as we go through this new point in our journey together, uh, as also prayer for the church, as we're all a community in on this as well. Um, we're getting into the period of time also when it is cold and dark outside, which means that there are many people that uh, it is a hard time for. And so we're going to want to pray for them as well during this holiday season and then the winter beyond. And the EMC conference is coming up at the end of the month, the last weekend of the month. And there are some big things that are on the docket. If you want to know what they are, you can find them on the EMC website. Uh, they're all listed there. Uh, we are going to be sending our representatives as 
regular, myself included, and so we want to pray for those meetings that they go well and that God's wisdom is there as the decisions are made. And as you saw to begin with, uh, today is the prayer for the persecuted church Sunday. And so uh, during our prayer, we're actually going to take a bit of a break and each one of us can pray in our own hearts for stories that we know going on around the world where the church is being persecuted. Off the top of my head, I know that particularly in Myanmar, in Haiti, and in Afghanistan, the church is having particularly hard times just now. And so we want to pray for those places where the church is making a big impact and also just for our brothers and sisters as they go through this difficult time. And with that, let's go into a time of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning, first off, in praise of you. We come before you in praise of you because even when it is a hard weekend, even when it's a hard week, even when it's hard, we still know that you are there. We still know that you have done such great things for us, and so we place before you our thanksgiving for who you are. We place before you our thanksgiving for all that you have done in our lives before this, and we place in your hands thanksgiving for the world around us, as beautiful as it can be, that we put before you. But there are a number of things in our hearts right now that are hard. And so, God, we want to place before you, first off, wonderful little Noel. We thank you that the diagnosis is finally in. And we pray that you show us how to love her in the ways that she needs to be loved, how to lead her in the way that she needs to be led, and how to learn from her in the ways that she has to teach. This we put before you this morning. And we also come before you this morning in the shift of seasons that can so often be hard for so many people with the very long nights that come even as we have time change today, we know that this is true. And also with the holiday season fast approaching, a time that while it's so wonderful for so many of us, is so hard for so many others that it is a bit of a dreaded thing even this far out. And so, God, we put that before you this morning as well. Please be with these people and let them know comfort already. And also be with the rest of us that don't feel these ways, that we will be able to see our brothers and sisters that are hurting, our brothers and sisters that are having this hard time, and be what they need. That we put before you. And, God, we pray for the EMC Conference Council coming up. We pray for the big things that are on the docket. We pray for the people that will be traveling as well as those that are dialing in. And God, we pray that in the discussions and the decisions, your wisdom will be there. Your guidance will be there. And everything that we need in order to go into the next period of time as your church following you, God, we pray, lead us be a blessing on those meetings. And God, we also bring before you this morning our prayers for our brothers and sisters across the world. We thank you so very much for being able to live where we do, being born here, coming here. We thank you so very much that this is a place of peace, 
And that even when things get our blood up, nevertheless, it is still a blessed place to live. But we know that across the world, our brothers and sisters are not always so fortunate. And so we bring them before you this morning. We pray for their safety. We pray a blessing on them as they are your church as well. And Lord, we pray that as we do this, as we pray for them going forward over the weeks to come, we do not forget them, but instead we always remember that just as we are your children, so too are they, and they are our brothers and sisters in you accordingly. We pray for them now. Lord, as they also gather today, we pray a blessing upon them. In the places where the church needs to hide, we pray they will not be found. And in the places that the church needs to hide, we pray that they will see themselves victorious in you. Lord, all of these things we bring before you this morning, and we place them at your feet. In your name we pray, amen. We're into our series on what it means to live in faithfulness once again. Only three more goes before the end of our series, and this is the last one in the Old Testament. And we find ourselves in what is possibly two of my favorite books, looking today at two characters that really have something to show us about what it means to live in faithfulness. First and second Samuel. Our passage today is 1 Samuel 13, 1 to 14, if you have your Bibles on you. And we're going to be talking about Saul and David. Saul and David, and what they have to teach us about living in trust and faithfulness to our Lord. And so, as we open our passage today, we see something really interesting right off the top. Saul was 30 years old when he became king. Oh, man, what was I doing when I was 30? Ah, and he reigned for 42 years. And that right there is a bit of a something to note. The people of Israel are a famously bickering people up until this time. If you read through the book of Judges, then you get that very clearly. And so for Saul to be king for 42 years, especially back then, he is the first king of Israel. He's the king over a bickering people in 42 years. That says that I think it's a safe bet that Saul was a pretty good king. But he's doing something that kings of that time did all the time. He is finding himself in the place of preparing for war. His son Jonathan took it upon himself to go and do war against the Philistine people, an outpost that they had. And that is something that is not uncommon for Jonathan. He sometimes attacks without maybe not thinking all that clearly. And the Philistine people are like, oh, none of that. And so they start marshalling their forces. And we read 3,000 chariots are what they muster. That's in verse 5 right there. 3,000 chariots says quite a bit. Chariots are the B-2 bombers of the era, after all. Chariots are 
stinking expensive things in order to fund at that time because you're not just building the chariot, you're also making the horse, breeding the horse, training the horse, and then the two people, there's 6,000 people that ride these things, and that's a skill you need to practice all of the time. And so that is an expensive thing to keep up. And so when we see 3,000 chariots, that's telling us not only are the Philistines a formidable force, not only are they most certainly stronger than the Israelites, they're also a fair chunk richer as well. But Saul is no spring chicken when it comes to fighting the Philistines, and he knows that we need to do this now if we're going to do it at all, because if we don't do this now, then the people quaking in their boots, that's going to be a thing that keeps on happening. And the more morale that leaves your troops, the worse your chances are of actually defeating the enemy. But at the same time, Saul knows that what we need to do is we need to do the sacrifice before we go to battle. We need to do that because that is what is done before you go to battle. So he sends off for a priest. He sends off for a prophet. He sends off for Samuel, the same man that 42 years ago anointed him to be king. The same man who unfortunately 42 years ago was also very old. And that was one of the reasons that he anointed Saul to begin with. It was a passing of the torch. And that means that through all of that terrain, it takes Samuel a long time to get to Saul. There's a lot of hills, there's a lot of brush land, roads aren't really a thing at this point like we think of them, and so it takes his time. But as the days go by and it becomes even more obvious that there is this battle that needs to happen now or else they will lose, Saul starts getting pretty ants in his pants. And so eventually he does the sacrifices himself. And that's something that's a bit of a no-no. Throughout the books of the law, we get a pretty clear understanding of how sacrifices are supposed to be done. They're supposed to be done by the priests. That is the people that God says, you do this. And so Saul is not one of the priests. Saul is a king. Saul is not even from the tribe of the priests. Saul is from Benjamin. And so by Saul doing this, he is going against the law prescribed by God, and he is doing it because, well, this just kind of needs to be done. We need to do this before the battle. We need to go to battle now. He is treating something that is a part of the relationship with God as more of, we just need to get this out of the way. And then Samuel shows up right in the nick of time, and he tells Saul, what have you done? I don't know about you guys, but when I read this passage growing up, I always thought this was a bit of an overreaction. But I don't actually think it is anymore, for reasons we're going to get to in a while. But what have you done? Because you have done this thing, you will no longer have the kingdom. It will no longer stay in your line. Instead, the God will find someone who is after his own heart, and he will rule. And then we get our first hint of David, the king who is on his way. Man after God's own heart. That is an interesting phrase right there. And it is how we know David. 
That's like the one descriptor that everybody kind of knows about who King David is. He is the king after God's own heart. And I think we all kind of have a bit of a feeling for what we think that means. We all kind of assume that it means that he's a good and upright and kingly sort of fellow. To be after God's own heart must mean that you're pious, must mean that you do the right thing, must mean that you are in some way more God-like than the rest of us. Turns out that that's not quite what that means. The books of 1 and 2 Samuel are what's called royal apologies. And I don't mean apologies like sorry here. What I mean is apologies like this is why something is the case. These books do a bunch of things. They tell the story of how this handoff between the time of the judges and the time of the kings happened in Israel's history. It's a very important period of time in Israel's history. They tell the story of how God was at work during this period of time as well. But the big thing that they try to do is told to us about when they were written in the first place. These books were written during the time of the kingship and they were written by the house of David. And they were written for that group of people for a very particular reason. They were written for them because a major thing that First and Second Samuel are trying to do is they are trying to make the case as to why it is that David is the rightful king of Judah, why David is the rightful king of Israel, why David is the rightful king after God's own heart and by extension, why his descendants are all also the rightful kings. The point of First and Second Samuel, one of the big points, is just making that case, why it is that the guy that's in charge is the guy that's supposed to be in charge. And you would think that what that would mean is, is that these books are really mean to the guy that was before him and really like flattering and nothing bad to David himself. After all, it's making the case that this is the guy that is supposed to be king. This is the kingliest of the both. But we don't really get that when we read through these books. And to show you what I mean, let's start by looking at Saul. Saul first comes into power, I think about four chapters before this. And the first thing that we're told about Saul is that he is tall, he is handsome, this is in chapter 9, and he is a real, his shoulder's taller than everybody else, he is a real leader among men. That is who Saul is. And so Samuel, when he comes to Saul and appoints him, appoints this Adonis to be king, because how could you not? then that's what we know about him. This is a man that looks the part. And we see very quickly after that that this is a man who also acts the part as well because immediately afterwards he praises God with all that he is because God appoints him. He just with fervor in his heart. And then he's on his way to get 
installed in the holy city. He doesn't even make it all the way there before he comes across a city that is besieged, a city that is a part of his new kingdom. The people cry out because they know that their doom is near and Saul's heart goes out to him. And so Saul, he sends out to all the different tribes asking them if they will send men and he does it in a very bronze age kind of way, but he, will you send men so we can save our brothers and sisters? And we are told that the different tribes come together and they fight as if one. Again, these are a people that are very famous for bickering with each other. If you read the end of Judges, even how they treat the tribe of Benjamin, Saul's tribe is horrific. This is not a unified people, and yet Saul brings them together. And because of that, he starts off his kingship as the hero of his people, as the hero king. And as it goes on, we just get more of this. There are battles that are won. And the beginning of our passage today, he reigns for 42 years. That is an exceptional length of a reign even today. And he did that then. And so you know that his people think of him as the king. And if that's what it says about Saul in these books that are trying to make the case as to why David is the proper king, then you'd figure that everything that it says about David is just roses. But that's really not the case. The first time we met David is with David and Goliath. Great story. But then, not too long after that, he starts raising to the top of the crop, and we begin to get a picture that David is a rather calculating person, to say the least. He gets married to the king's daughter, because the king wants to keep him in the house, and then when the king realizes he's a bit too much of a threat, tries to push him out. To which, the only thing that we're ever told about that first marriage is that Michal, that's the king's daughter's name, loves David. At no other point in the entirety of the Bible do we ever get something like that, that a woman loves her husband before, and that's why they get married. This is it. And so we know that this is, when she looks at him, she looks at him and sees everything, and he abandons her. She is married off to somebody else. David goes around and gets married to somebody else after a bit of a, yeah. And then the only time that he actually takes her back is when it is expedient politically for him to do so. Rips up her marriage in order to do that. Her marriage to this new person of which we are told that he, this second husband, loved her with all that he was. And then the next time we see them, we get a very clear picture that the two of them really don't have much to do the rest of their lives. David ruins her life. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And then as the story goes on, David takes the kingship. What do we see then? We see immediately a civil war breaks out because obviously a civil war breaks out. Even though Saul's main son that was supposed to take over, Jonathan, has passed away, Saul still has heirs. David was married to his daughter, but David also was disinherited from the family. He is not the obvious person to take over the kingship. 
And so obviously a civil war breaks out. And that continues on throughout his story. There is at least two more civil wars that happen because of him or his inaction. He is a absolutely terrible father, which is what causes one of those civil wars. He is not the greatest of administrators. His generals run roughshod over the people, and he tries to shield them from the consequences of that. And then he's also a man who is a bit of a slave to his own desires as well. There is a story about him and Bathsheba, which I'm sure we have all heard before. In that story, he gets a married woman pregnant and then kills her husband because he refuses to go along with it. And then there's another story even at the end, right near the end of 2 Samuel, in which David, to kind of pat himself on the back about all that he has achieved, he has a census done to show just how much he has gotten which there is a plague that happens sent by God to slap him upside the head to show him what he is doing is wrong. First and second Samuel are books that are making the case of why David should be king. And yet if you lay the lives of these two kings out, sure, Saul does a pretty terrible things himself, And David does many good things as well. But if you lay them both out, you don't come away with the feeling that of the two of them, David is the one after God's own heart. That is in all ways except for one. (laughs) Wonderful. Saul, as we've seen from our passage today, is somebody who starts very strong in his relationship to God. He praises the Lord with all that he is when he is anointed. But then as the story goes on, his 42 years progress, What we also see is is that as that time goes on, Saul's relationship to God becomes a lot more, Lord, I need you, and a lot, a lot less, Lord, I need you, and a lot more instead, I guess this is something that has to be done. We can see that in the beginning of our passage today, the not waiting for the priest to come, not waiting for the priest to come, even though pretty explicitly that's how God says this sacrifice needs to happen. And then as the story goes on, we get even more of that. The next major time that Samuel talks to Saul about how it is that he should do a certain thing, he is laying siege to a city. And don't plunder anything is the takeaway of what is told to him, and yet that is exactly what he does. It's expedient to do so. And then by the end of Saul's story, you find him talking to a witch in order to consult with a dead man about what he should do next. And I dare say that if there is a single passage in the entirety of the Bible that shows that you're not on the same page as God anymore, that one's probably it. But David, on the other hand, is very different than Saul in this way. Because David, for all of his terribleness, for all of the bad things he does, and they are multitude, He always comes back to God. We saw it over the summer 
on a couple occasions, the Psalms of David. And what did we read there? We read stories of praising God just because that is who God is. We saw a psalm where he's about to go to war and it's a lot less, I guess we need to do this and a lot more, this is my whole, Lord, be with us. We see passages where he is facing the darkest times of his life and still he reaches out to God, be with me now. David is someone who time after time again, when he falls away from God, comes back. David is somebody who, when he does things that warrant divine judgment, cares more about getting things to how they should be with his Lord than anything else. David is somebody that all throughout his reign, despite all of his many failings, and there are many of them, first and foremost cares about being pointed at God instead of like Saul being pointed away. And that is why David is a man after God's own heart. Because of all things to say about David, God is front and center. And because that's something we can say about David, that's something we can say about his descendants as well. For what's Jesus if not the ultimate example of pointed squarely at God? This is a passage, not a passage. These two books have to tell us something wonderful about what it means to live in faithfulness. And what that wonderful thing that they teach us about living in faithfulness is, is that it really matters more that you're pointed toward God than anything else. It really matters more well, let's say it a different way. It's better to be somebody that is just the worst of the worst and pointed at God than to be the most holy of saints pointed away. And that's the case because when it comes right down to it, what is life if not flowing? What is life if not moving this way and that? Nothing's static save God himself. And that that's true, then the takeaway is don't be surprised when you get to where you're going, right? Saul is somebody that is the prime example of this. Saul is the most upright of people, the most saintly of saints. He does all of the things he is supposed to do, but he is pointed away from God. And so as his story progresses, we see him move ever closer to destruction. We can be like Saul. We can say the right things, do the right things, be the right kind of people in our own minds. But if we are pointed away from God, then we shouldn't be surprised when we get to where we're going. Or we can be like David. We can 
be somebody that is not the greatest, who does terrible things, who might have an entire lifetime of mistakes that we just can't accept in ourselves. But at the same time, if we're pointed towards God, then we shouldn't be surprised when we get to where we're going. Because you always get to where you're going. It matters far more that we make the decision to point ourselves at God and then make that decision again every day than to say the right things and do the right things and be the right things and head in any other direction. And I think that that's a valuable thing for us to know these days. We live in a society that has a lot of people all telling us what the right way to be is, the right thing to do, and get very angry if you do anything other than that. But that's not what it's about. What it's all about that we learn from David and Saul is that living in faithfulness, that pointing towards God, that moving in his direction, moving in the direction of God that we find in Jesus Christ and his gospels. Do that, then everything else can fall away. And we'll know that we're headed in the right direction. Do that and we'll know that we too are after the heart of God. Amen. I'll be chewing on that for a little while, Russell, thank you. So we'll sing a final song together. And as you may have noticed, a new thing that we're doing um, in the last few months is we're singing a, a small section of the song after the benediction as well. So that gives Pastor Russell a chance to head to the back and bless everyone as they go. Um, so after the benediction, just stay where you are and we'll sing the chorus again. And then after that chorus has been sung, then you are free to, to head out where you need to go. So please stand as we sing Stronger together.
And for our benediction today, we turn to the book of Numbers. May God bless you and keep you. May he let his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his face and bring you peace. Go now and serve our Lord. You are strong.